as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. It's my pleasure this morning to talk with Associate Professor Sally Hewitt. Sally, I'm Lindy McAllister, and uh, I've had the privilege of working with Sally for all probably two and a half decades and have watched her career unfold, especially her work in the international space. And I thought I might start by asking you, Sally, a little bit about your current work. I know it's a real mix of national and international leadership. Mm. Yeah, it is. And I guess my current work, Lindy, stemmed from a whole lot of um, really interesting opportunities and situations that I found myself in over probably the last 10 to 15 years, probably, if I'm thinking about the international space. Um, At the moment, um, I'm obviously working in... Uh, a university setting. I'm at the University of Newcastle um, and my primary roles I guess are in research and teaching. Um, When I started at the university in uh, say 1999 or officially full-time in um, 2002, I was very much focused on a clinical area of stuttering and I guess sort of research and teaching in clinical education. So I was always interested in professional learning and preparation for the workforce and how that looked. Um, And one of those, I, I think one of the pivotal things that got me to where I am today is in 2010, um, when I was actually invited by um, Sue Woodward um, from Trin Foundation. Um, she lived up the road at that point in time, um, Central Coast, and I'm in Newcastle. Um, and she'd been over in Vietnam and um, spending some time over there supporting speech therapy in some way, shape or form. And she asked me if we would consider students going over with her to help her um, do some work. Um, and that coincided with also an opportunity to teach a stuttering course, so my clinical specialty, um, I guess, as part of a um, new, newly established um, two-year program at um, the University of Famnok Tak in Ho Chi Minh City. So that was sort of pivotal, I guess, in where I've got to now. Um, and where I am now is very much involved in um, supporting um, professional learning, um, research, Um, clinical development um, in Vietnam, um, certainly, but also in a number of other countries in in, uh, Asia Um, and um, working in terms of actually trying to help develop um, what might be um, a very new and novel way of looking at speech therapy as a profession in China, which, um, you know, is a whole new ball game in terms of population versus um, professional capacity to meet the needs of that population. So um, I guess, in a, you know, where I am now is um, 
trying to balance um, and manage a whole lot of um, different things in a COVID world where um, we can't necessarily um, uh, interact in the same way that we did a little while ago. But um, probably, you know, my, um, like I said, my, where I got to is um, through taking up opportunities, really. Now, you mentioned that uh, it's become slightly more tricky in a COVID world. Mm. Um, and I know that your work in Vietnam and your work in China requires you to engage with so many different stakeholders mm. um, in so many different settings. How have you gone about developing and then initially and now maintaining those relationships that are so mm. key to the work yep. that you do? Yeah. Yeah, look, it, it, it is. Relationships is a really interesting um, concept if you unpack it because, um, you know, rate relationships certainly in a COVID world I think are becoming very different anyway. Um, you know, we're having lots of virtual conversations. Um, we're keeping in contact with people in, in different ways. Um, probably the key thing from my perspective, Lindy, is um, the, the how I think I've developed relationships is actually establishing um, some um, supportive relationships close to me um, in my own country first, um, you know, and, and working with those people in then um, uh, engaging in the international space. So that's probably one thing that I've done. Um, the other thing that I think I've done and I think I've done it well is made sure that any relationship has sort of mutual benefits. Um, and I sort of talk about mutual benefits, I guess, um, in terms of understanding all of the stakeholders in all aspects of the work that I've done. Um, so say, for example, at a university, you've got numerous hats that you wear, numerous roles, um, and you need to meet the performance expectations of the workplace that you're paid in. Um, but then you also have interests in supporting, um, you know, work that's unpaid or volunteering. And so I've always tried to sort of make those relationships mutually beneficial in some way um, and utilise, I guess, the opportunities from one to support the other and vice versa. Um, so I guess I've sort of in some ways utilised the opportunities that I've gathered through some volunteering space to support my teaching development um, or the relationships that I've built to support um, student engagement from Australia um, and that then creates other relationships between students and students and, um, you know, starts to sort of grow not just a personal relationship but actually a relationship that involves a network. Um, and that, you know, is probably, I guess, the next part of how those relationships, you know, come into play. Um, you can't develop a relationship if you don't get involved and you can't develop a relationship if you don't engage in opportunities. Um, you know, I think I, I know I've spoken to you about it before and um, sometimes when an opportunity comes up, you sort of go, oh, I'm not, I don't know how I would do that or what I would do, but you sort of say yes anyway and then you work out how to do it later, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think you work out how to do it later through the relationships that you have close by you um, and then that helps you to sort of build those relationships in the international space, Yeah. Sally, you talked about your work um, making sure it's mutually beneficial. Mm. What have been some of the mutual benefits? I can see for clearly, for example, the benefits to our colleagues in uh, Vietnam and China from your 
interactions mm. with them and the input that you've made there. What are some of the benefits flowing in the other direction that you could identify? I guess, um, you know, I, I love a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, um, what I um, benefit from being involved in working in the international space, I guess, is a really deep-seated, true understanding of what um, international practice is, um, of what um, culture is, um, what culture difference is. Um, I, I think I sort of understood that before, or I tried to. Um, Lindy, I remember the first time I went to Vietnam and, um, you know, I sort of thought, gosh, I need to make myself sort of in tune with this culture. I need to understand Vietnam. I'd never been there before. So I was reading about how the Vietnamese you know, um, participate in different things in society and what their cultural, what their language is, what they do. And, um, and I thought that would be okay. I thought, you know, by sort of having some knowledge around culture and language would be helpful. And certainly, don't get me wrong, it was helpful. Um, but I think the true um, benefit that I got was actually that deep-seated, real understanding of culture and um, the need to um, really understand what some of the challenges are that um, uh, working within a different culture can be. And I think, you know, and, and living within a different culture can be. Um, because, you know, for me, I've been in an environment where I'm a minority. So I remember the first time um, I went to China um, and I was working in a... Um, um, a suburb in China um, and I don't think for five days I saw another Caucasian um, person um, and I don't think I successfully had an interaction um, in English or Chinese um, to purchase something um, without having to point to pictures or you know use um, something to, to support that interaction um, and, and, and that was, that, that's really, truly learning and understanding some of the challenges, um, you know, that I think um, potentially, you know, we face, um, say, in Australia um, in trying to support um, minority cultural groups um, uh, in the practice that we're trying to um, uh, deliver, which is to support their communication interactions, their communication and, and swallowing interactions, which is, you know, an interesting concept. Um, people say to me, how can you do speech therapy in a country where you don't speak their language? Um, but, you know, you and I know that it's so much more than that. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing I think I've, I've, I've got from it. From a student's perspective, um, I know that, um, and from my university perspective, um, I know that uh, they've gained some of those um, um, same deep understandings as what um, I think I've got. Um, but I think it's also opened up, particularly with our students from the University of Newcastle, where we don't live in a major capital city, we don't have the same cultural diversity as what um, may exist, say, for example, in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. Um, and I think it actually gives and opens up opportunities in that same space. Um, you know, at the university here, we now have students who 
um, have been doing international um, placements for essentially since about 2011, really. Um, so for 10, um, a good 10 years. And even with COVID, we have students engaging in international volunteer um, opportunities um, that are now virtual. So, you know, still, you know, still really working in that space and developing, um, you know, amazing stuff that is just having such a um, huge impact, um, but I guess a sustainable capacity building impact that we, you know, always try and um, strive to um, achieve. Thank you. Sally, what would you say have been your top three challenges internationally and cross-culturally and how have you managed those? Okay. Now, I, I did actually have a think about this beforehand and I'm, I, there is absolutely no question in my mind that the biggest challenge is time. Um, and, you know, I will absolutely um, say that with hand on heart that it's not just about my time. Um, it's, it's actually, um, I guess, sort of um, time for... Um, you know, other people that you might be engaging with in the international space, you know, it's how much time have they got to actually then do that. Um, That certainly has um, been one of the, you know, major challenges. Time for me to get involved, time to sort of maintain that balance, time to travel internationally, Um, you know, time for um, time difference, (laughs) you know, working internationally, you're often on a different time zone. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, everything takes time, you know, what's the old saying, Rome wasn't built in a day or something. I mean, we just know that that, that that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, and then the cross-cultural communication breakdowns add further time. <laughs> or they, and, and they add time because you're often doing things two or three times before, you know, you really achieve the end, end goal that you want to achieve. Um, so that's probably number one. Um, but I think we are always struggling or we're, that's, that's a challenge in all of the work we do. So it's actually then how do you, whilst it's a challenge, it's also part of the challenge is then how do I make the most out of the time that I've got? And then how do I make that mutually beneficial to maximise time? So, you know, what's, if I engage in this, how does it benefit my career, the students, the university, the, um, the partner organisation, the people in Vietnam? And so you and that opens up opportunities because, you know, if you've got mutual beneficial um, relationships, then funding opportunities that might come up at a university could be used for volunteer acti- activities and vice versa. So, um, you know, whilst it's a challenge, we can always, um, you know, find ways to make the most out of that. Um, funding is probably the second one, I would say. Um, I'm not, these aren't necessarily in order, but um, funding, um, partnering, you know, working out ways to find good partners to make that funding happen and make that sustainable in a way. Um, funding to support the activities that you want to do. Funding to get there. Um, funding to... Um, send someone else there, funding to engage other people. And and I know um, if Sue Woodward ever hears this, I would have to say fundraising (laughs) Um, because I know that's a conversation we've had on so many occasions with um, Trin Foundation about raising funds um, to support um, international work. Um, Then I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you four, but I won't talk for very long. The third one is um, personnel. 
um, and people um, to be involved in, um, you know, in collaborating and, and developing relationships um, for international work to work. Um, and so um, personnel in terms of volunteers, um, whether they're paid or unpaid or semi-paid, um, people, we still need expertise and experience um, and we need engagement of people in both spaces. Um, so that's always a challenge, I think. Um, I think as, um, um, you know, time moves on and as progressions develop, maybe personnel um, may become less of a challenge, but I still think um, that awareness around the benefits of working in the international space um, still, still needs a lot of um, airtime, actually. So, uh, um, and then, Lindy, the um, fourth challenge, I guess, um, that I'm going to add in, despite the fact that you asked me for three, um, uh, because I think um, one of the challenges that um, we don't often think about and it doesn't become a challenge until we actually are in that space um, are the regulatory systems um, and the government regulations and really understanding what's required um, in a space that's very different to where we've been working um, in our current practices. Um, you know, uh, there's um, often layers of paperwork or documentation that's um, required to achieve a very small task. Um, and that can at times be quite frustrating. Um, it can be challenging and it can impact on building relationships, I think, sometimes. Um, because of that frustration. Um, and I guess my, my only response to that is um, there's always a workaround. <laughs> um, there's always a way that it happens. Um, uh, and, it's, and, and things are always achievable. I guess it's just a matter of, um, you know, a little bit of persistence um, and a little bit of um, give. Um, and if I can um, give advice to anyone that's moving into that international space or wants to, it's about being able to give a little bit. Um, and I don't mean give in the sense of give your time or whatever, but actually give in terms of um, break down some of your preconceived ideas and thoughts and ways of doing things and know that, you know, it maybe needs to occur slightly differently and probably will um, happen very differently in a different international space. Um, and, and, you know, learnings that I have had from Vietnam um, have been useful um, in moving to other countries, but they're not the same. Um, you know, <laughs> um, they're not at all the same and you need to be just as persistent and flexible and adaptable and give just as much um, in a way. Mm. Thank you. Um, Sally, what's next in your international work? I don't know. That's a very good question. Um, we will find out when the next opportunity arises. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, Lydia, I, I was being cheeky. Um, I should, I should say, I actually think that what's next is going to be driven by lots of other influences that are going to be outside of our control. Um, you know, and I think um, this last eighteen months has been, um, you know, a good indicator of that um, and how that might look. I don't think international engagement is going to go away. Um, in actual fact, I think it's just going to happen differently and offer different opportunities. Um, uh, you know, one of the um, real opportunities in working internationally is not necessarily going internationally. Um, you know, international engagement can happen 
um, here in Australia um, through other support mechanisms and other ways of, um, you know, working with organisations that have existing relationships. Um, and Lindy, you've been involved um, with me and Trin Foundation in um, establishing the Beyond Borders Mentoring Program, um, where, you know, lots of Australian mentors um, work and mentor mentees in, um, in Vietnam. So speech and language therapists who've just completed um, training courses with interpreters um, to then, uh, you know, uh, um, enhance and um, improve practices. And, you know, initially we sort of think that that mentor is, you know, providing an awesome opportunity for developing in Vietnam. But I, but in actual fact, some of the research that's coming out of that and some of the um, um, feedback we're getting is that the benefits are, again, I'll go back to that mutual beneficial um, sort of statement, the mentors in Australia are getting so much learning and um, so much professional development um, from being involved in that experience. And so if I'm thinking about international engagement, I'm not thinking about, you know, necessarily going overseas, you know, or going over and being in that culture. But I think you get just as much about engaging, um, you know, from where we are, um, wherever that might be, in fact. Mm. That's right, yes. Oh, Sally, it's been lovely to talk with you today. Um, and I know that you're going to be the Elizabeth Usher Memorial Lecturer at the Virtual National Conference in May and June this year, end of yes. May, June this year. So I just want to wish you well. Um, I'm sure it'll be a fascinating presentation. And I also just want to congratulate you on the breadth and depth of your work. Um, and, and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.